As you're having a seat, we're glad you're here this morning. If you don't have a Bible, let me start off with this. If you don't have a Bible and you need one, why don't you raise your hand and we'll get one to you right away. So make sure you got God's Word in your hand because that's where we're going to be turning right away. A right. uh, couple quick announcements. I'm going to make them prayer requests. One is our church finances. We're excited about where things are at the building committee. We're going to ask you to continue to play for, pray for the finances of our church, though. Um, the building committee is awesome, doing great, okay? People are giving to the overflow. It's been super, okay? Uh, but if the general fund right now is not as super as it needs to be, so we're going to ask you to pray for that. Second thing that's even more important is uh, we need a couple more volunteers to help with the children's and nurseries on Sunday morning. So, again, I'm asking that you pray about that. We need some people to volunteer uh, once a month to help out. So those are my two prayer requests for you as I bring to you this morning. And Kobe, uh, I know you just prayed, and, uh, but I want to go back to prayer again one more time. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you uh, that, as Kobe as said, we, we get to come here and worship you, holy God. And uh, so, Lord, right now I just ask you to just prepare our hearts. As we're going to open up your word, we ask, Lord, that you speak, not me, but you, that your spirit moves in our hearts that we hear what you're saying so that we can be, one, comforted, two, encouraged, and more so, Lord, we can know who you are and be amazed and put in awe. Lord, because we need to know who you are. So we ask, Lord, that you reveal that to us today. In the name we pray, amen. Open up your Bibles and turn to the book of Judges, chapter 6. That's Old Testament, okay? So you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus... Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and you get to Judges, okay? Judges chapter 6, and as you're turning there, to sort of recap where we're at, we're in a series, we have one simple goal, and I wanted to pray that this morning, because I want to make sure, again, not just for you, my, myself, and ask that God's Spirit just remind us, we need to be listening to Him, okay? But we want to know who God is. At the end of the service, I would love for us to proclaim that God, you are patient. Last week we said, God, you are holy. And we learned what it means that God is holy. So hopefully this past week you were able to sit back and as you read Scripture and you were in different places, you were stopping and just saying, God, you're holy. You're set apart. You're so distinct and distinguished. And it's God. After today, I hope we can walk out of here and, and be able to say, God, you're patient. God, you're patient. And we'll continue to finish those phrases each week with a you are and Finish those with even more words of honor. But today I want to continue with the patience of God. I appreciate um, Kathy with the children's sermon. Not one kid could keep their finger back. Didn't you love, for those who could see, I mean, the bubbles flew in right away. She said, don't even touch them, don't even reach them. And the first thing they did was that finger went out trying to put, you know, get that bubble, right? It's so hard. Patience is so hard. You've been told. Do not pray for patience because, what, God will send a trial your way, right? Maybe you've been told that before. But this morning we want to know about patience. So we're going to do in Old Testament here is Judges chapter 6. And we're going to start in verse 1. Again, the Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. Let me hear you say seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites fled to the mountains, where they made hiding places for themselves in caves and dens. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people from the east would attack Israel, camping in the land, destroying crops as far away as Gaza. 
They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, oxen, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their cattle and tents as thick as locusts arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count. And they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. So here's the situation. God's people, the Israelites, they're having a tough time here because um, they didn't listen to God. So what does the scripture say? They did what? They did evil. So being disobedient as they were, they're choosing a path opposite of the Lord. God says, I want you to live this way. They said, we're going to live that way. What happens when you live the opposite direction of God? Bad things happen, right? That's what happened. Let me hear you say, that's not good. Because when you do not listen to the Lord, when you do not obey the Lord, bad things happen, and that's not good. So not only were they under the pain of their enemy, but it was lasting seven years. Seven years. I want you to think about that. They did evil in the Lord's sight, so God said, you choose not to follow me, that's fine. I'll put you under the reign of the Midianites for seven years. Have you ever prayed for something and prayed for something and prayed for something, continued to pray for something, and you're like, God, when are you going to answer? One of my brothers um, struggled soon out of uh, high school, went into the workforce, and he struggled through those years. Uh, now, I'm not going to say, the, back, the term we used in our church was, he backslid, okay? I'm not going to say he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but he wasn't living for God, I'll say that. I prayed for him, and prayed for him, and prayed for him, and prayed for him. And six years later, he turned his life around in obedience to God, and got married, and started a family, and his life is completely different now. But I remember that six-year period of pay, praying for my brother because I was thinking, God, where are you at in this? And then there's been other things, obviously, throughout our lives that we pray for and we wonder, but I was thinking, you know, during those seven years, did they wonder what was going on? Do you think they realized that this was a result of their own choice? Do you think it hit them like, well, I guess we are sort of living evil and we're making bad choices, so when you make a bad choice, there's a bad result. And, that's probably why we're not getting any help, right? Did they come to that conclusion or not? I don't know. Or do you think they waited and waited for God to step in and wondered why he didn't? You know, they cried out to God. And here's what God said. Look at verse 7. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. So God says, I'm going to send you my voice person, okay? Here they come. They're going to talk for me. And he said this. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt and rescued you from the Egyptians, from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies, gave you their land. I told you I'm the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live. But you have not listened to me. See, it was their choice to turn from worshiping God the only God, the God who said, no other gods before me, and worship idols. They allowed the enemy to infiltrate their life and lifestyle change. Instead of praying to God, they worshiped an idol. Go back and see what the prophet said. There's four things I, I underlined and highlighted in my Bible, and now I want to read them to you. One, I brought you up out of Egypt. God says, I brought you out of there. What's the next thing he says? I 
rescued you. What's the next big thing he says? I drove out your enemies. I gave you their land. Those are four mighty gifts, four incredible gifts. And how do the children of Israel thank God? Thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you, God, by worshiping a worthless idol. Not the proper response, right? I really appreciated what Rhonda Borton emailed out this week um, in the prayer email. I'm going to read it to you because I just, I thought it was fantastic what she put in there. Um, so let me read this to you. Suppose you are approached by an acquaintance who offers to serve as your mentor. I want to take you under my wing, he says, but you must give me three hours every day, including holidays and weekends. Now, that sounds like a big commitment to be mentored by somebody, but you're also concerned because your mentor has some flaws. He's foul-mouthed, loves to talk about illicit sex, prone to burst of violence, constantly trying to sell you things for his own personal enrichment, things you really don't want and don't need. Meet your friend and mentor, the television set. A recent study shows that the average American watches TV two-point hours every single day, glued to the tube, many of them Christians who say, I just can't find time to pray. The key to the Apostle Paul's success was his vigilant prayer life. The key to America's future is prayer. Will you allow the unimportant things of life to separate you from interceding faithfully and ceaselessly on behalf of your nation and your neighbors today? The great tragedy of life, said the famous minister F.B. Meyer, is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. That's what she wrote in her email. I thought it was very fitting and very well said. And I sit there and think, Rhonda, you hit it. Instead of praying to God, we tend to worship other idols. I don't have time to pray today, but I had time to sit down and watch this, or I'd sit down to play this game. I had time to, to listen to this and, and mess around with this, but I didn't have time to offer God any prayer today. No different than the Israelites back when they turned from God and for seven years were under the hands of the Midianites. When we start worshiping other idols, this is usually what happens. So let's read on, verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the oak tree at Oprah, which belonged to Joash, the clan of Abizur. Gideon, son of Joash, had been threshing wheat at the bottom of the wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Look at the person next to you and say, Now, you've got to do this right, okay? Nobody get, like, antsy on this and nobody bail on me on this one, okay? I want you to do this, okay? I want you to look at the person next to you with a smile on your face, with all the confidence, and look at them and say, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Go for it. All right, now, because you chose to do that to only one person sitting next to you and the other person that was sitting on the other side of you, nobody talked to them, okay? Now, you got to look to them now, look to another person and do it again. Now, again, you got to do this with confidence, okay? Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Tell them. Wow. Did you love that? I mean, you guys did this and you did it with smiles on your face like, wow. Somebody called me a mighty hero and it was really weird this morning being called that, okay? And the Lord is with you. You're probably so freaked out by the mighty hero part. You didn't hear the last part, which is the most important part, and that is the Lord is with you. Can you imagine being Gideon and the angel of the Lord appears to you, okay? Again, you're hiding down in the wine press threshing the wheat because you don't want the Midianites to find you and your grain and everything. And all of a sudden, the Lord of the angel appears to you and looks at you and says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Okay, first of all, Gideon doesn't feel like a mighty hero, which probably some of you felt that way this morning, right? 
You call me a mighty hero? I'm not a mighty hero. I'm a tired mom, okay? Or, or I'm a dead dragon right now. Or I'm just by myself. I just showed up. I have no clue where I'm at right now, but I, I'm here, okay? And somebody called me a mighty hero. That doesn't make sense. I'm sure Gideon felt the same way. But more importantly, what the angel said to him afterward is, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. First of all, I want to build confidence in you, Gideon. I want to tell you something that's true, and you are a mighty hero. And then maybe you don't feel like it, but you are. Second of all, I want you to know something, that you're not alone. For seven years, you've felt alone. But God's with you. The Lord is with you. Gideon disagrees, of course. Look at verse 13. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, which I obviously don't believe that, why has all this happened to us? You ever had before? If I'm a Christian, why do bad things happen to me? If I trust God, why did this happen? Hear that from Gideon, right? Where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? Ooh, Gideon's got a little complaint here, doesn't he? That's good. It's good to be real with God. You can't fake it, right? You can't manipulate God. You can't fake it. He knows your heart. He already knows that. So you might as well be real with him. And Gideon complains. The Lord's not with us. Somebody should do something. Come on, God, why don't you do something? And just like a Matthew West song, which song do something, right? The angel of the Lord turns to Gideon and says, you are going to do something. Look what he says in verse 14. Lord turned to him and said, go with strength that you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Look at verse 15. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. I'm the least in my entire family. And the Lord said to him, I will be with you. And you'll destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. You know, what's amazing here is that God chooses somebody who lacks confidence. He chooses somebody who lacks size, he lacked a name, he lacked finances, he lacked maturity and age, he lacked confidence. And God chose him. See, a lot of times we sit there and think, I'm not leader material. I can't stand up in front of people, I can't talk, I, I'm not well with public speaking, uh, I don't know how to make decisions, I waver on things a lot. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not leader material. I'm going to call you Gideon, Okay. Because God comes to Gideon and says, I hear you, I hear you. You say you're lacking this, lacking that. Yeah, right, okay. God's already showing patience with Gideon. Don't miss that. I don't know if you've ever argued with an angel before. I haven't, because I have to admit, I don't think I've ever seen an angel, okay? I was going to throw in there besides my wife, but I didn't want to get all mushy and sound bad, right? If you've ever argued with an angel, um, you're probably going to get struck down. And I would think at this point in time, Gideon's pretty bold here. Uh, maybe Gideon didn't know who he was talking to, right? And I'd sit there to think, isn't this enough, Gideon, this conversation? Isn't this enough that you should at least stand up and say, okay, I'll do it. But here's the problem. You know why I'm thinking that? Because I've read the Bible frontward, backwards, all over, multiple times. I know what happens in the Bible. I know the miracles. I know what God is like. I know all that. So when I look at this story, I'm looking at it in a situation that I already know what God's like, okay? Gideon doesn't. This is real life for Gideon. 
he doesn't have God's Word in front of him to read about all the stories about Jesus Christ who's going to come and how God's Spirit is with him. He doesn't have that. We have the Bible to know, so we can trust God, right? But this is real-time, real-life for Gideon. He is full of doubt. And if you have doubt, you don't have trust. And if you don't have trust, guess what? You don't have anything as far as it comes to patience. Matter of fact, you have lack of patience. Because you don't have that trust. You have that doubt. Look at verse 16. The Lord said to him, I'll be with you. I'll destroy the Midianites as if you're fighting against one man. Let's read on. Verse 17, Gideon replies to this and says, If you're truly going to help me, Show me a sign to prove that it's really the Lord speaking. Don't go away until I come back and bring an offering to you. So the answer is, I'll stay here until you bring that offering, okay? Verse 19, Gideon hurries home. He cooks, listen, he cooks a young goat with a basket of flour. He bakes some bread without yeast, and then carrying the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot, he brings them back out, presents them to the angel who's under this big tree, okay? Now, I don't know how long that all took, but I'm thinking if you're back in the biblical times, they probably didn't have meat just sitting around, okay? Not in the fridge, didn't have a fridge, right? It wasn't like they went on and cooked on the microwave and started making a quick supper, right? They probably had to maybe kill the goat first and dress it and then prepare it and then cook it. And then you got to bake some bread too. Again, I don't know how long all that took back in biblical time, but I'm thinking a longer time than it does for us today, okay? So I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting. Oh, hey, uh, Mr. Angel, if, again, if he's recognized that he is an angel of the Lord. Okay, we know because it, it says, right? Okay. All that while sitting under the tree waiting. Now, that took quite a while, but check out what happens like in less than two seconds. Okay? Angel of God said to him, place the meat and the unleavened bread on this rock, pour the broth over it. And Gideon did as he was told. Look at verse 21. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and bread with the staff in his hand, and fire flamed up from the rock, consumed all he had brought, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. Yeah. Now let me ask you this. Isn't that enough to believe now? Now do you believe God is with you? You cook a meal, it took hours, and God burns it in two seconds. Okay? Literally. Evaporate. Gone. Toasted. Okay? Look at verse 22. When Gideon realized it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, Sovereign Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It's all right, the Lord replied. Do not be afraid, you will not die. And Gideon built an altar to the Lord there, named it, The Lord is Peace. The altar remains in open the land of the clan of Abizar to this day. Now, I believe that's enough to believe that God of this universe has called you to do something, Right? You have a little conversation with somebody who calls you a mighty hero, tells you God is with you. You cook a meal for them. They burn it in two seconds. It's gone. I think God is with him. Okay? But did you notice all the patience that God has with Gideon during all this? I'm thinking if God of the universe tells us something, him being God would just say, all I got to do is tell you something you would believe because I'm God, right? Because as parents, don't we do that? We tell our children something. We say, hey, this is the way it is. We expect our kids to believe us. If you are uh, a boss in the business or something, you're in charge of people and you have people underneath you, you tell them, you expect them to listen, to obey. It's just the way it is, right? Because of your superiority, because of your position of authority. I expect people to listen. But when they don't, well, it sort of bothers you, right? 
Why aren't they listening? I mean, so you have to sit here in this moment, in this situation, say, here's God. I'm telling you, Gideon, something, and you're asking for this, and you're asking for that, and, and you're not believing me? Hmm. Well, after a brief act of obedience, Gideon stands up for God, which is really awesome, okay? But check out what happens next. Let's fast forward a few verses, okay? Look at verse 33. Verse 33, soon afterward, the armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east formed an allegiance against Israel. They crossed the Jordan. They camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord took possession of Gideon. He blew a ram's horn, called to arms. The men of the clan of Abzir came to him. He also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, Naphtali, summoning their warriors, and all of them responded. Then Gideon said to God, If you're truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. Okay, have you ever done that with God? God, prove to me. Now, maybe we never verbally said that out loud, but we probably think that a lot. Prove to me, God, you're real. Prove, show me, God. We call this the fleece moment, okay? Because check out what happens. Verse 37, prove it to me this way. I'll put some wool, a fleece, on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but all the ground around it is dry, then I know you're going to help me rescue as you promise. And it happened just that way. Gideon woke up the next morning, squeezed the fleece, wrung it out, a whole bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, now please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. This time let the fleece be dry and the ground around it be wet with dew. So that night God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. God shows patience. Let me hear you say God is patient. God is absolutely patient. You know, as we read in chapter 7, we go on to read, Gideon takes his army, 32,000 men, great army. And God says, too big. Let's whittle it down. So there's a whole process. You can read about it in chapter 7. But he ends up with only 300 men. Okay? And God wants to make sure that Gideon understands and the Israelites understand that we're not going to brag about your power of your army, but we're going to brag about the power of God. Literally cuts them down to the small army. They look weak, so God's power can be clearly seen. Now, obviously, nervous again. Gideon, lacking confidence, not trusting God, he's in his next battle, goes to God. God, I don't know about this. God shows patience again. Gideon listens in on the enemy's conversation. God says, listen, just sneak down in the middle of the night. I want you to hear what's going on in the enemy's camp. So Gideon and another go down, verse 9. Go down to the Midian camp, Midianite camp, for I've given you victory over them. But if you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant. Listen to what they're saying. You'll be greatly encouraged, and you'll be eager to attack. So Gideon takes his servant with him. They go down to the edge of the enemy camp. Look at verse 12. The armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of East had settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore. Too many to count. Okay? There's a lot of them there. The enemy is huge. Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. So you can sort of imagine this. Here he's in the enemy camp. He sneaks in. He's the, he's the commander, okay? He sneaks into the enemy camp, and they're on the campfire, and they're talking. He sort of, sort of somehow hides behind a rock or something. We don't know. And he listens in on the conversation, and here's the conversation. Hey, I had this dream. Yeah, really? What's your dream all about? Well, my dream is like a loaf of barley bread, okay, comes tumbling down into our Midianite camp. 
and it hit a tent, crushed it. Oh, no. His buddy next to him goes, you know what that dream means? The Israelites are going to cream us. This is not good. God's given Gideon, son of Joash, Israelite, the victory over us. So now they're all demoralized because it's one man's dream that God had given them. So Gideon hears this. He goes, oh, God's given it to us. Now he's feeling pretty comfortable, right? Do you ever get tired of telling your kids, your players, your students, your coworkers, maybe your spouse, the same thing over and over and over and over again? It's like they don't get it. Keep telling them, keep telling them, keep telling them. They don't get it, and you're like, oh, I've already lost my patience with you. I've told you how many times. You ever think God is feeling that way with Gideon? I, I can't speak for God. If I, if I was me, I would be, but I can't speak for him. But I can't say this, God is patient. God is patient with Gideon. Maybe we're looking for a more qualified, more well, a person that's going to trust God, and, but God says, no, 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 no. I picked you. You are my mighty hero. Just trust me. It's hard for us to trust. I get that. But God says, I'm going to be patient with you during this. Because I know you're going to lack confidence. You're going to doubt. But I'm going to be patient. God, you are patient. I hope that can roll off our tongues this morning. God, you are patient. God will not give up on you or the ones you love. God is slow to anger. He's abundant in loving kindness. God, you are patient. We read the stories of the Old Testament. We can fast forward to the stories in the New Testament. If you look at the stories of Jesus, how many times did Jesus have to be patient with his disciples? With misunderstandings, with lack of faith, when his disciples were fearful? How about when Judas, who betrayed him, is sitting at the table with him on that night, knowing he's going to be betrayed, Jesus washes the feet of his betrayer, knowing that he's going to get betrayed. You want to talk about patience? How about when Jesus is hanging on the cross? Matthew 15, verses 29 to 32. Why don't you turn there with me? New Testament. Matthew, first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 15. Starting in verse 29. I'm sorry, Matthew, Mark. Let's go to the next book, Mark. Mark chapter 15. I'm sure Matthew 15 is a good read. We'll skip that another time. Mark 15, verse 29. As Jesus is hanging on the cross, we pick this up. And the people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha! Look at you now, they yelled at him. You can destroy the temple and rebuild in three days, can you? Well then, save yourself, come down from the cross. The leading priests, teachers of religious laws, also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe it. Even the two criminals who were being crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. As Jesus is hanging there, the people are mocking him. The religious leaders are mocking him. The other guys on the cross are mocking him. Jesus shows patience. We all know the power in Jesus Christ. We all know that at any moment, Jesus Christ could have very simply looked to his left, looked to his right, and said, let me show you who I really am as the Son of God. 
and he would have come down off that cross and wiped them all out. He could have done that. But he showed patience with them during that moment. He showed patience in not retaliating. For that reason, in our prayer time, we can say, God, you are patient. Thank you, God, for being a patient God, for loving me when I did not deserve it, for loving a lost and rebellious world. God's so patient that he delayed the flood for 100 years while Noah built it. Again, God could have just created a, an, an ark on his own. He could have created a different way to, no, I'm going to give him 100 years plus while Noah, while you build this ark. We'll give time. We'll give time for them to repent, right? 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord isn't really slow about His promise, as some people do. No, He is patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but He wants everyone to repent. The next time you hear somebody say, God doesn't care, God doesn't love, no, no, no. You look at them and say, 2 Peter 3.9. They're going to go, what? Because there's a man that walked with Jesus. His name was Peter. And he hung out with Jesus for three years. And, and this is what I've learned. When you live with Jesus, and you hang out with Jesus, you learn something about Jesus and about His Heavenly Father, God. And this is what I know. God doesn't want anyone to perish. That person that you may have a grudge against, that person that you don't know, that stranger in the parking lot or in the store, guess what? God doesn't want them to perish. The people that we've our family with, and sometimes we don't treat them as family, God doesn't want them to be destroyed. God is patient with us, not wanting anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. God, you are patient with us. Isn't that good news? Look at the person next to you and say, that's good news. Because if God was impatient, he would destroy us, right? 1 John 4, 8 says this, God is love, okay? Repeat after me, God is love. We're going to do an algebraic formula here, okay? God is love, that's A, okay? B is 1 Corinthians 13.4 that says what? Anybody know love is what? Love is patient. Because that's B. So A, God is love. Love is patient. So if A equals B and B equals C, doesn't A equal C? Correct? Yeah. All right. Cool. Because here's the thing, okay? So we got God is love. Love is patient. Therefore, God is patient. That's a great algebraic formula. Don't you love meeting in the school? We need a new building, don't we? Okay, here we go. But it's not an algebraic theory. This is truth. That's what God's Word says. God is love. Love is patient. Actually, God is patient. And we can find that in Scripture. Isaiah 30, 18 says, So the Lord must wait for you, must be patient to come to Him, so He can show you His love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for His help. Psalm 86, 15, But you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry, that's patience, and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Let me define patience for you. It's that desire and ability to wait for people to change while loving them enough to accept them even when they don't. Let me read that to you again. Patience is the desire and the ability to wait for people to change while loving them enough to accept them even when they don't change. That's patience. God is patient with us. And God says, I want you to be patient with one another. 
God, you are patient. You're patient with us. And here's the thing we need to remember, though, is God is not soft on sin, right? Because we sit there and say, well, God's patient, so I can just go out and mess around. No, remember, God is what? What did we learn last week? God, you are what? Holy. So he's not soft on sin. He hates sin. Remember, he's holy and awesome, but he is patient with our weakness, drawing us back to him, not driving us to him. God, you are patient. Now, you may not remember the old Heinz ketchup commercial, but I was sitting around the other day, and I'm sitting there going, trying to be patient, okay? And I'm thinking, praying about patience, and I'm studying about patience. And I don't know why, but that old song from the Heinz ketchup commercial came back. We got a clip. Now, remember, this is 1970s. This is like 40 years old. This is not HD. I couldn't find a, a clear clip of this anywhere. And Dan was saying, well, we can maybe. No, I, I couldn't find one. So I just, just watch this and then listen at the very end, because I love what they say at the very end of the commercial. We can get the lights, and we'll get the video, and somebody get a hamburger, because you're going to want one after watching this commercial. Yeah. Hi, is Barbara ready? I think you have time for a bite. Your kitchen is thick and rich. Doesn't your mom buy you Heinz? No. Why? Just taste it. Sorry you had to wait. I'm not. <laughs> Ladies, I'm sorry. The way to a man's heart is not through you. It's a burger, okay? I just love that commercial. It's just that, and you, know, you know why we have squeeze bottles now? Because we're impatient, okay? We can't wait for it to come out. There's another great commercial, Heinz commercial, where the kid has actually, a, he has a, a knife. He's trying, he has like a, 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 a sweeper. He's trying to suck it out, like a, a big a vacuum sweep. And, and I'm just, just laughing at these commercials, but it's like, it's anticipation. You know, I think about being patient. It's like, what are we waiting on? What are we waiting on? God says, listen, I'm patient with you. So be patient as my children. And what's that, what does they say at the end? The taste is worth the wait. I honestly believe this about being a Christian. It is worth the wait. Living for God, at times, you have to be so patient in situations where nobody else will be in this world, but it's worth the wait. Because when you're living in obedience, it's worth the wait. Amen? I'm going to ask the uh, worship team to come up here, and I want to read some scripture to you as they're coming up. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 5. This is, as you know, the psalmist says this about waiting on the Lord. And before I read this, you're going to help me out here, okay? Finish this sentence, okay? I want you to think Disney, okay? This is going to be easy for you, okay? You're not allowed to say anything. I want you to think Disney. I want you to think back again. I, maybe it's that flashback to the 70s and 80s and watching the wonderful world of Disney on Sunday nights. Uh, and again, the only way I got to watch it on Sunday nights is if I was sick or injured because I was always at church on Sunday night. And I remember breaking my foot in elementary school, and I got to stay home from church because I broke it on Sunday, so I didn't have to go to church that night. I was like... <laughs> This is what TV looks like on church on Sunday night. It's really weird. But anyway, so I remember watching Disney, and you would hear this, okay? And Jiminy Cricket comes out, and you'd hear his voice singing, When you wish upon a star, okay? Makes no difference who you are. Man, you all watch this together. That's good, okay? Anything your 
heart desires, wow, will come to you. Isn't that a great song? When you wish upon a star, it makes no difference who you are. Anything your heart desires will come to you. Right? Okay, and it's like, oh. Okay, great Disney stuff, okay? Disney does an awesome job in entertainment, but there are some life lessons that they failed to mention because there is no genie. Oops, sorry, kids. <laughs> there are no uh, fairy godmothers. Mom and Dad will explain that later, okay? It doesn't work that way. And that makes it so hard because then we, we're so anticipating if I, you know, I've got three wishes or I, I rub this jar or I ask, I'm going to get it right away because sometimes we treat God like a genie. Like we ask for something we want it now and God says, no, you're going to have to wait. See, I'm patient with you which is a good thing in, in many ways, right? And God says, I want you to be patient with me and patient with others. But we sort of, we want to jump after it, right? You got a lot of motivational speakers out there, and I got to be careful myself. You know, you got a lot of motivational speakers out there that say, you know, if you can see it, you can be it, right? Heard those kind of talks before. Or, or believe it and achieve it. We really think that we can do that, and that's not always true. It's not always true. The psalmist said in Psalm 41 to 5, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on solid ground and he steadied me as I walked along. He's given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he's done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Oh, this is, oh the joys for those who trust the Lord who have no confidence in the proud of those who worship idols. O oh Lord my God, you have performed many wonders for us. Your plans for us are too numerous to list. You have no equal. If I tried to recite all your wonderful deeds, I would never come to the end of them. Simply put, God is patient. Let me hear you say, God is patient. Now say it to the Lord. God, you are patient. He's patient with us. He's patient with this world, not wanting anyone to perish, but for all to come to him. And then he says, I want you to be patient with me and patient with others as well. Let's uh, stand and pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for being a patient God. God, you are patient. You're so patient with Gideon. And then you showed patience through your Son, Jesus Christ, in the New Testament, with his disciples, with those around him. Incredible pictures of patience. And then you ask us to be patient. Because that's what love is. Love is patient. And we get to express you, your love to others, when we show patience. But what is amazing, God, is that those that we love the most are the ones that we tend to be the least patient with shouldn't be that way. Our friends, our family members, church family, people we work with, those that are close to us, love is patient. God, help us to be patient with those around us. Thank you for being patient with us. Help us now to take that and extend that to others. God, I thank you for your word. I pray that we understand it. More importantly, I pray that your spirit speaks to us and helps us, Lord, 
to be patient in all things because it is worth the wait. Thank you, God, for who you are. In that precious name we pray.